Let's pray together, you guys, before we look into God's Word. Father, we do thank you and we do praise you for who you are. Um, we are glad to be in church, as Pastor Michael reminded us. We pray this morning that as we gather together as the body of Christ, that you would be powerfully at work in us. We pray also that you would open our ears, open our hearts to hear you, God, to hear you. Pray that the word we planted deep in our souls, pray that it would bear fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. It's actually pretty cool because the next two Sundays, essentially I get to, uh, in two sermons, reiterate and articulate, I think, at the essence and core of what our church is about. Let me say two things up front and then we'll kind of get in. All of my life in ministry, particularly passing this church, I've tried to do things. One is I've tried to remind all of us that we need the gospel every day because we forget the gospel every day. Did I hear an amen? Yeah, we need the gospel every day because we forget the gospel every day. And I say it one more time. We need the gospel every day because we forget the gospel every day. The second thing I've tried to remind you is that the gospel is not just the way we become a Christian, but the gospel is the way we grow as Christians. The gospel is not just the way we enter the kingdom, but the gospel is the way we advance in the kingdom. The gospel is not just the way we're born as Christians, but the gospel is also the way that we grow as sons and daughters of the king. The gospel is not just the ABCs of the Christian life, but the A to Z. Those two things, those two pillars. We need the gospel every day because we forget every day. And the gospel is not just how we become a Christian, but it's how we grow. It's how we advance. It's how we change. And this, if I could remind you every second, every moment of your life, I would. And this, in our community groups, in our small groups, is what we need to continually remind us. You cannot read the New Testament without finding this theme over and over again. Look at what Paul says. And we've been in the book of Colossians. So then just as you receive Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith and overflowing with thankfulness. What is he saying? What is he saying? He's saying the gospel is not just the way you become a Christian. The gospel is the way you grow. The gospel is not just the way you are born into the kingdom. The gospel is we advance in the kingdom. It's not like you and I become a Christian via the gospel, and then all of a sudden we leave that and we go something else. That's what a lot of us have done, and that's why our Christianity and our Christian life at a certain point goes, this doesn't make any sense. It doesn't work. The gospel is not just the way you become a Christian. It's the way you grow. Just as you receive Jesus as Lord, Paul says, then continue. Questions, are you doing that? See, it's dangerous just to get half the gospel. And some of us are living half the gospel. And there is no transformation and change. What is half the gospel? Half the gospel is I became a Christian because the gospel of grace. Thank you very much. But now if I'm going to grow, I need something else. And the Bible says that is a deadly recipe. Of the Christian life. The gospel is not just the gospel of grace, not just the way you become a Christian, it's the way you grow. That's the entirety of Paul's argument throughout the New Testament, and in particular, Colossians chapter 3. 
Colossians chapter 3, Paul reminds us, you need the gospel every day because you forget every day. You also need to remember that the gospel that you made, the gospel of grace that saves you is the gospel of grace that grows you. Because if your Christian life looks like this, it's the gospel of grace that saves me, but then everything else is up to me, which is what some of us are trying to do. It doesn't work. Colossians 3 is where we've been. And check out what Paul says. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Verse 3. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I'm not going to go over this again. We're going to do this one next week. But, but you ought to think about, you need to think about this. Okay. Every time you see the word in Christ, Christ in you, in God, this is what Paul is articulating right here. Okay. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. And then he says, gospel, need it every day, you forget every day. You need it every day, you forget every day. It's not just the way you become a Christian, but watch this. Paul says what? Verse 5. Put to death, therefore. Put to death, therefore. Why is that important? Because some of us, and some people would say this, you know, Peter, this whole gospel of grace, gospel of grace, Here's the thing. If you talk about the gospel of grace, this idea that God's love is free, this idea that God's love is unconditional, if that's really true, then I would have no motivation to obey. If that's true, then I would have no motivation to do what God wants me to do. I would live any way I want to. And Paul says, I could not disagree more. And Paul says, that's impossible. For anybody who truly understands and grasps the gospel... To actually think and live our lives in a way that says, well, if God loves me freely, unconditionally, I can live there one want. He says, if that is your posture, you don't understand the gospel. To anyone who truly understands and grasps the gospel, Paul says, not only do you not walk away, well, I can live anywhere once if God loves me freely, unconditionally. Paul says, there is tremendous transformation and change that will occur in your life. We change and grow, not just in spite of the freeness of God's love, but because of it. The gospel motivates us to change. How? Look at the things that he mentions. Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, put to death, sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the Knowledge of the image of its creator. Here, verse 11, there is no Jew, Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. You see, the, you see the behavior things he talks about that all of us struggle with? He says, the worst thing you can do. He says, you have absolutely no chance of dealing with any of these things. If your attitude is, God saves me by the gospel of grace, but now it's up to me. You have no chance. Just wave the white flag flag right now and go, can't do it. He says the only way, and I'll get to this, you could overcome these behavior in your life is if 
the gospel of grace is real to you. Verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, here's another list of behaviors. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, and gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grief against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body, you are called to peace. And be thankful Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And poof, verse 17, whatever you do, whatever you do, whether in word or do you do it all, in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And Paul says, here's how the gospel advances you in the kingdom. Ready? Here's how the gospel that not only saves you, but the gospel that changes you. Here's how it works in your life. Two pictures. I'll leave you with. Ready? One is digging down. Secondly, <laughs> I thought it's looking up. But I'm going, what physical hand gesture would be good? Looking up. I don't know. So digging down, okay? Sunday school, okay? And looking up. Oh, you laugh at me. All right, I'm going to make you do it. Everybody do it together. Here we go. Ready? No, I'm serious. Ready? Digging down. Okay. Look it up. Come on. Ready? One more time. Digging down. See, you know, never to laugh at your pastor when he does something stupid because I'm going to make you do it too. Look it up. Okay. Digging down, looking up. Look at verse 5, you guys. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And then Paul lists several things. And if you struggle with these things, say amen. I'm just kidding. Just, just in your own personal self, okay? <laughs> Sexual impurity. A bunch of us saying amen to that. Lust. Amen to that. Greed. Anger. Rage. Malice. Slander. Bitterness. To which all of us say, yeah, I'd like to be free from those things. But they keep coming back, don't they? But they keep coming. It's like we go through a season where we're like, I think I got anger under control. Malice, bitterness. I don't. And then they keep coming. Do you know why? They keep coming back. Paul says there are two things, two phrases, words here that are key to why these things keep coming back while we continue to struggle with them, even as Christians. And the words are found smack in the middle of this entire passage. And the two words I'm going to put up there, evil desires and idolatry. Evil desires and idolatry. Evil desires is an effort on the part of the translators to get across one single Greek word. It's the Greek word epithumia. Everybody say that with me. Ready? Epithumia. And epithumia is a Greek word that literally means over-desire, excessive desire, or an inordinate desire. And any time in the New Testament, the Bible talks about character change, character change, character change, behavior change, behavior change, behavior change. Any time in the New Testament, any time in the New Testament, you find that word, epithumia. The problem is the English translators try to translate it, and they translate it as sinful desires, evil desires. And that's not, a, that's not helpful. Do you know why? Because when we see the word sinful desire, evil desires, most of us good moral people immediately go, that's not me. Because when we hear the word evil desires or sinful desires, and you find this throughout Galatians and Ephesians, we think of what? 
What do we think of? What do we think of? We think of a list of what? Forbidden things to do. Bad. It's like in this hidden corner somewhere. Evil. And we go, that's not me. That's not me. Here's the problem, though. The problem is evil desires, sinful desires. It's not a list of these things in the corner that somebody who is really, really immoral does. Because if that was the case, um, the Pharisees, the moral people, the church people, they don't do anything on the forbidden list. But Jesus says, you are dead inside. Jesus says, you're the problem with the world. Religious fear. I don't do anything on the forbidden list. Jesus, I know. But you're what's wrong with the world. Matter of fact, they're the ones who killed Jesus. Epithumia is not an ordinary desire for something bad. Epidesire, epithumia, is an inordinate desire, excessive desire for something that's good. Let me say it again. Epithumia, evil desires, sinful desires, is not an ordinary desire for something bad. So that you and I go, that's not me. Epithumia is an excessive desire and an ordinate desire, uncontrollable desire for something good. And Paul says that is what causes all the things I just talked about. Rage, anger, lust, immorality, lying. Are you hearing me? What's wrong with us and character transformation is not evil desires, sinful desires. Paul says that's not what they, what causes all of these behaviors is not, I'm going to say it one more time, an ordinary desire for something on the forbidden list like you and I think. It is an excessive, out of control, inordinate desire for something that's good. And Paul says that causes all of these character and behavioral issues. Epithumia. What is epithumia? Epithumia takes good things in and of themselves, like career, like family, like work, and it sucks it into the center of your heart, and it grabs hold of your heart, and epithumia says to you, unless you have that, you're nothing. Unless you have that, So it takes a good thing, like human approval. We all want to be approved, affirmed. We all want good reputation. But epithumia takes a good thing like human approval, and it sucks it into the center of your heart and says, unless people like you, you're worthless. Unless these people like you, you're nothing. Some of you are completely under the power and control of someone that you seek affirmation from. And they have enormous power over you. Why are you giving them such power? Why? Epithumia. Work. Everybody wants to do well at work. We all want to work. Epithumia takes work, sucks it into the center of your heart. And it says, unless you progress. Unless you're successful, unless you have that job and career, you're nothing. Why do you work the hours you do? Well, my boss, give me a break. Not your boss. Why are you devastated that you don't have that career that 
you actually dreamt of? Why are you not just discouraged, but devastated that you're not further along in your career? Epithumia. <laughs> Family. Parents. Parents. Listen. Epithumia takes your children, sucks it to the center of your heart. And what does it go? Parents, unless they're happy, I can never be happy. Well, unless you're Pastor Michael, because he has no idea what that's like. Okay? <laughs> because Pastor Michael's very bold about saying, Mm-mm-mm. doesn't matter. Okay? Doesn't matter. And he's being real too. He's not faking it, you know? Because Pastor Michael is very healthy spiritually, that's why. Some of you guys know what this is like. You were on the receiving end. Your parents, you grew up in families, Asian Americans. Well, your family said what? Unless you succeed, unless you get into school, unless you get those grades, unless you're happy, unless you're successful, my life is meaningless. And your parents have crushed you. Your parents have ruined you. By the way, don't be so hard on your parents because they did that to you. Because it may not be children for you, but you have that too. Epithumia makes your ego into a snarling, sniveling, never satisfied, never content thing that always wants more, always needs more, always wants more, always needs more. Result, immorality, lust, greed, anger, jealousy, bitterness. Uh, for some of us, boredom. Bored. Are you bored? Bored. Life. You know why you're bored? Because your heart longs for something to fill it. You've tried that. You've tried that. You've tried that. You've tried that. And your heart is too big for whatever that thing is. Result, after a while, like, life, I'm bored. Epithumia. The other word is the word idolatry. Idolatry. Now, Paul in Colossians 3 associate that with just greed. But in Ephesians 5, we see that Paul associated with everybody. In other words, he's saying, everything that is wrong with you, everything is wrong with me, everything that ails us is because of idolatry. What is idolatry? Similar to epithumia. It's making a good thing into an ultimate thing. Listen. Idolatry is making a good thing into an ultimate thing. And the Bible says, your heart and my heart does this every day. Every day. Every day we get up, want to take a good thing, make it into ultimate thing. Every day, every second, take a good thing, make it into ultimate thing. Take a good thing, make it into ultimate thing. Take a good thing, make it into ultimate thing. Every day. John Calvin talked about our hearts being an idol factory. Take a good thing, ultimate thing. Take a good thing, ultimate thing. You do every day, every second, unless God comes and changes it. Exodus chapter 20, God gives the Ten Commandments and he says, have no other gods before me. Have no other gods before me. Why is God saying that? God's saying, you're either going to worship me or some other God. There's no third alternative. Some of you sitting there, I'm not even a religious person. I'm not, I don't worship him. God says, you're either going to worship me or something else is going to be your significance. Something else is going to be your identity. Something else will take. There's no third alternative. Something else. Why? Because if it's not God, your heart gets up every morning and says, that's my God. That's my God. It's my work. It's my children. Every day. Every, it's like breathing. We get up every day. We get up every morning. It's like breathing. It's like our hearts just want to take good things and make it into an ultimate thing every single day. And God says, unless his heart comes and changes our hearts every day. Every day. 
question is, what is it for you? What is it? What is it? Are you aware? Are you aware? What is it? What is, what is it? I'm asking, really. What is it for you? Work. What else? Relationships. What else? Appearance. What else? Please don't make me say it long. It's painful. Say something. <laughs> what else? What's that? Frugal. Okay, okay. That makes sense. <laughs> Frugal as an idol. Never thought about that. Although, although I could see, yeah, I could tie it. Okay, you guys, you guys, listen. Let's look at them. Let's look at them. Romance. Somebody say relationships. This is how you know you are under the power of this idol. You watch terrible TV shows like The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. No, I'm just... <laughs> oh, I've offended you, Daniel Espada. Well, excuse me. Excuse me. Okay? He's all offended. <laughs> you offended that I said it's a terrible TV show or the fact that I... What? What's that? Engrossing. Good Lord, man, that aisle has a powerful grip on your brother. <laughs> How many of you know that this idol is at work in your life? Do you know what this idol says? This, you live for crushes. And you know what? About 50 to 70% of my counseling sessions with singles in our church, it's because you're under the grip of this idol. People literally say, people literally say, Pastor Peter, I don't feel like I'm whole unless I like somebody or somebody likes me. You may be an agnostic. You may be an atheist. And you have a friend. And neither of you have been on a date for an entire year. Your friend is doing perfectly fine. You, you're angry. You're bitter. Why? Did you know that loneliness is part of life? Loneliness is part of life. There's natural loneliness. Ask married couples. There's loneliness in marriage too. <gasps> really? Yes, really. Loneliness. But there is a despairing loneliness. There is a loneliness that causes you to be angry at men. Angry at women. Angry at my ex. Anger. That's irrational. If this is your idol, do you know what the worst thing that could happen to you is? For you to get married. You know why? You will crush your spouse under expectations that they cannot ever meet. You know what I said at this wedding? I looked at the, I looked at the bride and I said, if you look to him to fulfill wishes and longings that God can fulfill, this will be a terrible marriage. I looked at the guy. And I said, if you look to her to fulfill longings and desires that only God can meet, you will have a terrible marriage. But I want my husband to meet all of my needs. They can't. Every relationship, every pleasure on earth needs to have one of those signs that are on bridges. No more than two tons. Why? If you put more weight on it than it's capable of handling, it will collapse. 
Do you know why some of you have terrible relationships and marriages? Your spouse is your God. And they will disappoint you again and again and again and again. This is why I advise people when they want to find out if the other person is, you know, just ask them straight up. Are you going to make me an idol in your life? Yeah, try that for the first conversation. How are you? I'm well. I have a question for you. Yes? Are you going to make me? <laughs> no. Make that like the second date conversation, okay? Because if you do it on the first date, they might think you're arrogant and presumptuous. You know what I mean? Can we talk about work? Can we talk about work? Do you, do you know, do you know uh, how you know that this idol is at work in your life? How, Peter? You're very difficult to work with. By the way, all these idols that I'm going through, like 90% of those I struggle with. Can you tell? Do you know why you're difficult to work with? Because you find your identity in work. And you're difficult to work with because you're a perfectionist. Why? Because if other people don't perform to the level that you do, (gasps) it reflects bad on me. So I am going to be very difficult to work with. Are you difficult to work with? Um, are you an overworker? I said, but who, who tells you to? Why do you work the hours you do? For some of us, you're not just discouraged. You're in despair. You're, you're life being meaningless because you're kind of stuck in between jobs. You're not doing what you want to do. Why? Why? It's just work. <sighs> it's just work. Um, what about physical beauty appearance? The most refreshing, honest conversation I had one time was a young lady who said, <laughs> who said, if I don't find my identity in my physical attractiveness, then what else do I have? Like, dang, that is honest. You struggle with eating disorders. You spend enormous amount of time thinking about what you're going to wear, what you're going to buy, what you're going to purchase. Do you know the UPS men by the first name? I knew that was going to get some of y'all, yeah. What about uh, codependence? Think about codependence. Can I just, you see codependence in other people. You don't see it in you. Do you need to feel needed? I just don't feel whole unless, so I've got all these dysfunctional people, dysfunctional relationships, and secretly, I don't want them to get well because if they get well, they might leave me. And if they leave me, what, 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 what? I know, it's like surgery this morning. I'm cutting you right now. It's okay. Because Jesus will sit you back. I can't. I'm Jesus, I'm praying. He'll sit you back. Codependence. Uh, what about uh, certainty? Well, I can't get married to that person unless I'm absolutely sure. Well, I can't take the job unless I'm absolutely sure. How will you be absolutely sure? You know what that is? You've made an idol of certainty. You're basically saying Jesus is nice and good, but having certainty about this is more important than Jesus. Certainty. Do you worry? Oh, you're not just a little. You're a professional worrier. What about family? Some of us are uh, sitting here and our parents' expectations and wanting to meet their expectations. By the way, this is a big one for me. It's been my idol all my life. And I'm kind of getting emotional because I'm about to go to Korea in three weeks and see my mom, for whom this is true. 
I've lived most of my life trying to please my mom. But that idol can't save you when it's lying in a casket. That idol can't save you. Money. Approval, conscience, <sighs> conscience. Pastor Peter, I know God has forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. Whoa. You know what you're saying when you say that? You're saying my idol is my standard. I have some standard, and I've crossed that standard. And I don't care what God says. I've crossed that standard, man. That standard is my identity. That standard is my idol. Here's the problem, though. When you cross that idol, your standard, your God, who's going to rescue you? Who's going to save you? If you've made your standard your ultimate, your God, and you cross your standard, who has higher authority to come into your life and go, you can't forgive yourself, but I forgive you? Do you see why some of you are just stuck in this toxic cycle of despair? There's a higher authority than God, and that is your standard. Which one is it for you? Which of them are for you? Which of them are you saying? Which of them are you looking at and saying, it's good that Jesus is Lord. It's good that he's my Savior. It's good that I'm a Christian. It's good that he loves me. But something is more important even than him. Something on that list is more important than Jesus. It is the foundational cause of what ails us. It is the foundational cause of what Paul talks about, not just in Colossians 3, but throughout the New Testament in terms of transformation. And unless you understand the depth of this, you will not be able to be experienced transformation. Some of y'all know I was a youth pastor for like seven, eight years. I distinctly remember a conversation. We'll call her name Susan. 15 years old, five foot two, about 90 pounds. One time she was talking, totally discouraged, totally pressed. And she says, Nobody wants to take me out. She's totally depressed and discouraged. I said, there's a good youth pastor. Try to remind her. Sarah, God loves you. We're his beloved. We're chosen. We've been raised with Christ. He is in our lives. He has gifted us. We're his sons and daughters. We're going to rule with him for all of eternity. Isn't that good news? You know what she said? She looked at me. She goes, yeah, but what's, 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 what, what good is all that if you're not popular? And I remember thinking, soon she'll grow up and realize, you don't say that to pastors. (laughs) But more importantly, two years later, she'll realize, you don't even say that to yourself because you don't want to actually believe you're that crass and superficial. But are we? I know I'm chosen. I know I'm beloved. I've been raised with Christ. I've been hidden in God. I have all the spiritual blessings in the world. But Peter, I'm sitting here this morning going, what good is all that if? 
What's your functional state? Don't tell me I trust Jesus as Lord. What do you really trust? What is your functional Savior? You say you're a Christian. I'm a Christian. I worship Jesus and alone. No, you don't. What is your functional Savior? What do you look to? Well, I'm not a Christian. I'm a secular person. I don't worship anything. Yes, you do. What gives you significance, identity? Is it Jesus? What is it? What is it for you? What things? Just look at the what things. Look at the list. If you lost it. Or if you failed at it. Or if it fails you. Or it slips away from you. Would cause you to not even want to live. What things on that list? What gods? What false idols on that list? Prompt, repeated, excessive, uncontrollable emotions. What? Why are you angry? Why are you worried? Why are you depressed? If a good thing in your life is jeopardized, you get worried. But if an ultimate thing is jeopardized in your life, you are overcome with anxiety. If a good thing in your life is blocked by somebody, you get mad. But if the ultimate thing in your life is blocked by somebody, it's rage. If a good thing in your life is lost, you're sad. But if an ultimate thing is lost in your life, you want to throw yourself off a do you understand your emotions? Do you understand why you do what you do? Do you understand that? That's why the worst thing that could happen to a Christian, unless you understand this, is to say to yourself, I'm a Christian. I shouldn't be worried. I need to have more faith. That's why you'll never hear a preacher like that in this church. Three-part sermon series, how not to worry. Part one, what? I am a Christian. Part two, why? I have faith. Part three, what to do? Just stop it. Does it work? Answer me, does it work? It doesn't work. Do you know why? Because all you do is bend the solution of acting on behavior and not getting to what? The root of the issue. So what do you do? Let's go back to our Sunday school. You ready? First thing was what? Do it with me. Ready? Dig down. Dig down. What do you dig down? You unmask the idol. Everybody look up here. Everybody look up here. Unmasking the idol means, to borrow a phrase from my AA friends, it's being ruthlessly honest with yourself. Ruthlessly, rigorously honest with yourself and your feelings. Well, I just sometimes tend to get hurt. No, you're bitter. Say it. You're bitter. Say it. I'm bitter. Yes, you're finally being honest. Well, you know, I'm just kind of, sometimes I kind of, you know, I kind of worry. No, 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 no. You're overwhelmed with anxiety. Why are you calling the sin by nice names? Oh, because I want to be a good Christian. We already know you're not a good Christian, so it's okay to be honest. Be in community. Can I get an amen? Be in community. Why are we in community groups if all we're going to go, you know, I'm sort of concerned. Your community group needs to say to you, be honest. Okay. I am overwhelmed with anxiety. Well, you know, sometimes I get mad. No, you mean you're filled with rage. The only way you could unmask it and dig down, be rigorously, ruthlessly, 
well, you know, sometimes I wish I could go on a date. No, I am so lonely that it hurts. If you're not a Christian here, it's one of the things about Christianity that just bothers that God of me. I want to be a nice Christian. So we call idols by nice names and we never change. Well, you know, I kind of struggle with this and that. No, you have an addiction problem. Are you willing to be? Secondly, unmasking it is not just calling. Secondly, you got to repent of it. What do I mean? <sighs> Every time we talk about repentance in church, we either think of one of two things. Some of us, hellfire and brimstone. You're bad. You're blah, blah, blah. Repent. I'm sorry for that because that's not what repentance is. You know what repentance is? Repentance is not saying I'm sorry because we've said I'm sorry all our lives and it never changes. Repentance, repentance is digging to the root of that idol. Okay? Repentance is saying, God, I'm angry. I'm overwhelmed with guilt. I find my identity in this and it's killing me. But I will not. I will not find my significance in this. I'm unmasking. I will not find my identity in this. I will not find my worth in this. It's got its arms around my neck, and it's killing me, and it's driving me more and more and more. But I will not. I will not. Dig down. Unmask the idol. Repent of it. And then you have to do one more thing. What? God. Look up. I see you're not doing it. I'm going to call. I'm just kidding. Okay, we go. Ready? Look up. Do you know why you have to look up? Do you know why you have to look up? Do you know why you have to look up? Because idols can't just be removed. They have to be replaced. Can I say that once more? Idols just can't be removed. Why? You pick up that idol. Oh, this idol of family. I've uprooted it. Guess what's going to happen the very next day? Boop! Idol of career. I've removed this idol of work. Boop! Next day, I love approval. We can't just remove. You have to replace it. Oh, I love this quote. I love this quote. There's not one personal transformation in which the heart is left without an object of ultimate beauty and joy. The heart's desire for one particular object can be conquered, but his desire to have some object is unconquerable. Rashida, are you taking a picture of this slide? I'm going to Facebook it and tweet it. I'm on Twitter, by the way, starting like yesterday. So I'm going to send it to you, okay? <laughs> One of my friends was like, you've entered the dark. What was it? The dark world, something. Point Roger. The only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is by the explosive power of a new one. Do you hear it? Say amen if you do. Do you hear it? It's not enough for you to go, well, I'm not going to make an idol of that anymore, so here it goes. Because an idol in a heart that makes it like a factory is going to put something else. The only way to replace an idol is to replace a new one. Who do you replace it with? What do you replace it with? You do what? You look up. And that's Paul's entire argument in Colossians 3. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things, what? Above. Since then, you have died, and you're hidden with Christ. Set your mind, what? On things above. The only way to overcome ruthless 
filthy, nasty, addictive power and cause of idols and not just simply go, I'm done with that, is to say, you can't just say no. You've got to find a greater passion to say yes to. You can't just say no. you got to find a greater beauty, a greater wisdom, a greater power, a greater gospel to say you are enough for me. This is an excerpt from a sermon that I heard. The pastor's preaching, and he says this. There was a woman who lived in a trailer right up the road from the church that I pastored. She came to the church for a while, but then she moved away. She recently came back to the church, and I found out that she'd become a Christian. Along with being part of our church, she was going to a counselor, a therapist, because she had had a very, very hard life. She'd been beaten over and over again by one man after another over the years. She'd been in one abusive relationship with the man after another, and she showed the scars. But she'd become a Christian. And she was coming to church, and she was going to a counselor, and I'd visit her. One day, she was trying to tell me how Christ had turned her life around, and it was quite amazing. She began to say, you know, I'm going to my counselor, and much of what she said is right. My counselor said that I've built my whole significance and acceptability and identity on men, and that's why I've been defenseless with them. I simply have needed them too much. All of that is right and helpful. And she goes on. However, my counselor doesn't have a very good solution for me. My counselor says that I should do, what I should do instead is get an education and build a really successful career. My counselor means well, and of course, I absolutely need to get an education and get myself a job and career. But what she's saying I should do so that I will feel better about myself is that I would be switching from one kind of idol to another. For many years, my heart has been looking at men and saying, unless I'm successful in love, I'm nothing. But the therapist wants me to look at my career now and say, unless I'm a successful, independent businesswoman who is in control of my own life, I am nothing. But here's the thing that she doesn't get. I don't want to be enslaved to my work as I was to men. I don't want to be enslaved to my independence as I was to my dependence. I'm actually being asked to exchange a typical female idol for a typical male idol, and I don't want either. Can I get an Amen. You see, the therapist knew how to help me dig down to see what my idols were, but no way of giving me anything but an alternate idol. So the pastor says, so how are you doing now? And she quotes Colossians 3. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will be glorified. She said it's very practical. When I'm in church and I'm in worship, when what Jesus did for me is so real and so powerful in my heart, I think of the men in my life and I say to them, I say, I'm glad to know you and I certainly wouldn't mind being married, but you're not my life. Christ is my life. I'm done making anything else in my life. You're a good thing, but you're not an ultimate thing. I'd love to have a husband, but if I don't, I have Jesus. I've set my things above. You can't give me any of the things Jesus has given me. Can I get an amen? You see, I don't want to, I don't want to look to men or to a career. A career can't die for me. If I live for a career and fail, it'll beat me up all my life for having been a failure. But if I fail Jesus, he died for me to forgive me. To realize Jesus is the only Savior who, if you get him, will satisfy you. And if you fail him, he'll forgive you. You have to do this every day in the teeth of it, when you see the thing rising up, worry, anxiety, guilt, bitterness, anger, you have to look at it and go, 
I know why I'm feeling this. You are not my life. You are not my significance. You are not my righteousness. You are not. My life is hidden with Christ in God. I set my mind on things above. A couple months ago, I got an email that filled me with anger, then rage, then bitterness. Then I did some slander, and I even lied. Because he criticized me for something, and he was wrong. And I felt this thing rising up in me. I'm typing, by the way, in case you're wondering what that is. I was like, no. Because at that moment, you know what? I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit, and the voice of the Holy Spirit said, Peter. And I've said this to you guys before. um, He didn't get those things right. But man, what about all the other things that are frankly even worse? You may not know them, but God does. He loves you. That man's opinion is not your life. That man's verdict is not your life. That man's evaluation is not my life. My life is hidden with Christ in God. I look up. I learned another thing about myself too. That is when I feel the need to defend every criticism, it shows that I've built my entire identity on being right. And one of the things that the gospel frees you from is having the burden of being right all the time. I don't have to be. What's your hiding place? What's your hiding place? Don't just sit here and go, one year on the other, Jesus is my Lord, I trust him. No, you don't. What's your functional savior? What are you warming yourself and saying, man, if the fire this goes out, I'm dead meat. What are you looking to? See, you can come on up. Do you know, do you know, do you know why for some of us, I'll end with this, do you know why there's no life transformation? Do you know why we're still struggling with these things? Can I just, can I just, can I just maybe offer, do, do you know why? Because it's not genuine repentance. You know what, genuine repentance, 90% of us, it's not genuine repentance. 90% of us, not, 90% of us, it's not, you know what it is? 90% of us is self-pity. You know what self-pity is? Self-pity is fearing the consequences of your sin and not hating the sin itself. Self-pity, 90% of us like, I don't want to do this. Oh, man, God's going to get me. Parents are going to get me. Boss is going to get me. I'm going to wreck my life. I'm going to... But as long as it's self-pity and you hate just the consequences of sin and you hate yourself and you don't hate the sin itself, that means that sin, that idol still has its claws in you. You don't hate the sin. You don't hate that idol. You just hate the consequences and you never change. Well, how do you hate the sin then, Peter? You go to the cross. You look up. Why did Jesus do this for me? So I wouldn't do that. Why did Jesus die for that idol? So that I would realize that there's beauty in him. Why did Jesus die for me? Why did Jesus crucify? What? For my holiness. Because he's committed to my holiness. 
And the creator says, it's only when I am holy that I can truly be happy. I go to the cross and I let the power of the cross and what Jesus did for me melt my heart and soften my heart until I realize I don't want to just hate the consequences of sin. I don't want to just, but I hate the sin itself because I'm looking at Jesus. I'm looking at sin. I'm looking at Jesus, looking at the idol. I'm looking at Jesus and I'm going, why would I settle for that when I have this in my life? It's going to the cross. It's going to the cross looking up and saying, he did that for me because he's committed to my holiness, my righteousness. Wow. That is the only way. The power of sin and the idols in your life and my life begins to lose its grip. Is this real to you? Is this real to you? Can you put back, Lisa, the list of idols again? How, how, how many of us, and I include myself, how many of us could honestly say this morning, Jesus is not my functional Savior? This is. Jesus is not my functional The first step towards transformation, rigorous, authentic, ruthless honesty going, 